This month is our family seminar month. And today, we want to talk about family, the building block of society. We're using Psalm 68 as our main verse. And I'll read it to you from two translations. In the King James, and I'm sorry that we read in the middle of the verse, starting at verse 5, it talks about God. And then this is what it says about God. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Then verse 6 says, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. The complete Jewish Bible reads, God in his holy dwelling is a father to the orphans and a defender of widows. Verse 6, very interesting. God gives homes to those who are alone and leads prisoners into, out into prosperity, but rebels must live in a past wasteland. So God is a God of family or a God of homes. And he places us in homes or in families. And it says the lonely, God places in families. And even when people have gone through difficult times that are just like a prison, God brings them out into prosperity. And therefore, family or a home, when you read scripture, is God's idea in the first place. This is important because Truly speaking, when we look around the world, the value of family is not as emphasized as it should be. More so, the current direction that the world system is going into, that tries to even temper with a unit called family. The home or the family is what God instituted, and it is the basic unit of all society. The reason we see things fall apart the way they are falling apart in our world today and society is totally, totally being totally out of control is because this basic unit called family has really been tempered with. Family is to society what an atom is to the universe. The atom is where everything starts in terms of the universe. And so the family is where everything starts. It is really the cornerstone on which everything is built. Much as we are here, every one of us, we come from a family. However it's structured, we come from somewhere. There's none of us who just fell out of a tree. Look at your neighbor and say, don't look like you fell out of a tree because you didn't fall out of a tree. None of us fell out of a tree. We come from somewhere. And for that reason, any society that allows the family unit to co collapse it will itself eventually collapse. This is demonstrated vividly throughout history. And I want to give you a, 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 a short example of what happened uh, in the Roman Empire. An author by the name of Gibbon, in their classical work that is entitled The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, lists five reasons for the fall of Rome. And... I'll read it as it as is, please, if you don't mind. Some of the language used might not be considered to be politically correct these days. However, that's what Gibbon wrote. He says the first reason that he gives is the undermining of the dignity and the sanctity of the home. And so he notes in his, in his historical excerpts, he describes the condition in which the Roman Republic was around 77 to 60 BC. And I quote, the increase of wealth conspired with the corruption of politics to loosen morals and the marriage bond. Despite increasing competition from women and men, prostitution continued to flourish. Brothels and taverns that usually housed them were so popular that some politicians organized votes through them and they were called the Guild of Brothel Keepers in those days. 
Adultery was so common as to attract little attention unless played up for political purposes. And practically every well-to-do woman had at, least, had at least one divorce. This was not the fault of women. It resulted largely from the subordination of marriage in the upper classes, the money, and the politics. Men chose wives or youths had wives chosen for them to get a rich dowry and to make advantageous connections. Such unions were called marriage politique. I don't know how to pronounce that. As soon as the, their utility ended, then the husband looked for another wife as a stepping stone to a higher place of greater wealth. He didn't need to give any reason. He merely sent his wife a letter announcing a freedom and his. Some men did not marry at all, alleging distaste for the forwardness and extravagance of the new woman. Many lived in free unions with concubines or slaves. In other words, they were swinging. I'm sure you've never heard that word. <laughs> Under these circumstances, women began looking lightly upon their marriage vows, and so did the men. And seeking in liars and the romance or affection that political matrimony had failed to bring. There was, of course, a majority of good women, even among the rich, but a new freedom was breaking down the ancient family discipline. Roman women not now moved about almost as freely as men. They dressed in diaphanous silks from India and China and ransacked Asia for perfumes and jewelry. And then marriage with, with continuance disappeared. And women divorced their husbands as readily as men divorced their wives. A growing proportion of women sought expression in cultural pursuits, learned Greek, studied philosophy, wrote poetry, gave public lectures, played, sang, danced, and opened literary saloons. Some engaged in businesses, and a few practiced medicine, end of quote. And what it says here is that men and women more and more disregarded the family structure as they immersed themselves, literally immersed themselves in all kinds of behavior of trying to have all the benefits that marriage gives without them committing to the marriage bond. And I think as a nation, we do identify with the effects of a destroyed home or a destroyed family. Our system of uh, migrant labor definitely destroyed the family structure. It is true that much as we've come a long way, having uh, uh, attained our political freedom in 1994, but the aftermath of the migrant labor system still lives with us. And the effects that migrant labor had, wherein men in particular left their homes in pursuit for work, came all the way to Johannesburg, places where gold was, worked in the mines for nothing, and were housed in these places called hostels. These were single-sex units wherein men could not be allowed to come with their families. So what do you do when you are a 20-year-old? In your, the prime of your life, you married, you are used to married life, and you come here and you have to be away from your family and from your wife for a whole year. So people got themselves the aquapenis, you know. So had started having families here, having children here, and sowing children all over the place, going home every six months, to go back home and be with their wife and their families. What is even worse was we had these beer halls, as they were called then, built in strategic places so that men could drink themselves into a stupor. And so we grew up in a background, many of us, whereby the home was very dysfunctional. If the man was there, he was an absentee father. Even though he might have been there physically, he was too drunk to take notice or too angry to relate with us, or rather too absent. And when he came home, he was too tired to be involved. And so it's important for us and very vital for us to have this conversation. I'm aware we might not be able to fully discuss in the format that we are about family. But if we could as a church at least sensitize people's hearts to the importance of the family, if nothing else challenge you to go and study more and research more, and if it is that you're in a family structure, 
to do your best to take care of your family. Because that's the best gift we can ever give to society. I'm not hearing any amens in this house. Yeah. And so it's important for us to understand that. See, in Genesis 2.24, the Bible clearly states the reason a man leaves his father and mother is to join himself to his wife and the two should be one flesh. The goal of these two is to build their own home and build their own family. Now, there are several definitions that we find on family. The secular ones, like we find in dictionaries, define the family as follows. The English dictionary, for, in for instance, it defines family number one as a group of persons of common ancestry. That's the first definition. Second definition, a group of persons living under one roof and usually under one head. Thirdly, a group of things related by common characteristics and properties. And then number four, the basic unity of society having at its nucleus two adults living together and cooperating in the care and the rearing of their own and adopted children. Now you can tell that there's a lot of neutral things that are said there about family. Not really fully defined within the Bible uh, parameters of the Bible context. For that reason, I want to present to you the biblical definition of a family. The concept of family at least. As we read in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. All right, In the Old Testament, you know that the family was a very close unit, very, very close. It was the structure that God used as the vehicle through which God communicated with mankind. For instance, in Genesis chapter 7, it says that when you read verse 1, the Lord then said to Noah, or is it verse 7? Is it verse 7? Or verse 1, yeah. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family. Now note, it's quite interesting when you read the Bible like I pointed out last week. I would really love for you to challenge yourself as you read the Bible to note the many, many times when God spoke to somebody, he also involved their family. Because that's just the way God works. That's God's modus operandi. He doesn't leave your family out. So God speaks to Noah and he says, go into the ark, you and your family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Then in chapter 6, verse 18, he spoke to Noah before. He says to him, I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark. You, watch this, and your sons, and your wife, and your son's wife with you. See, God in, in some way is saying, even when I visit you as God, I'm not going to only touch your life. I'm interested in your family as well. Because that's just the way God is. God is a family-oriented God. God is the builder of a home and the builder of a family. In the New Testament, very interesting, we find the word family and the word household. It appears several times in the New Testament. And the Greek word for that word, family or household, is similar. Is the word T-H-E-R-A-P-E-I-A. -E -E -E. There it is on the screen. T-H-E-R-A-P-E-I-A. -E -E. You can pronounce it if you have the courage to do so. This word is very enlightening because this word is a very versatile word. And it has quite a, a big range depending on the context of the word. So, if you take this word, which is used for family, and study it, it's quite interesting. And, and let me give you uh, some examples of how this word is translated in the Bible. That same word that you saw on the screen. In Matthew 24, 45, it's translated as household. All right? Household. In Luke chapter 4, 12 rather, verse 42, it's translated as the word servant. Same word. Same word. In Luke 9, 11, it's translated as healing. So it's household, servant, healing. And then in extra biblical material, that word is translated to mean the worship of God and to also mean service. All right? The verb form of that word 
means to serve, to care for, or to care. Which means this. Family, according to God, is to serve as a base where work, care, service, healing, and worship are common elements. These things must happen in a home. They must be practiced in a home. They must be taught in a home. It's in a home where we must be taught to work and take responsibility. It's in a home. As children, we need to be taught. As we grow, we need to be taught. You know, I was sharing with them in the first service. I'm so thankful. Yesterday, we, I spent time with people in the, our volunteers. After the service, I spoke to them. There were many of them. So we were here for almost an hour and a half, two hours. And, 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 and one of them actually, and I won't give her name away, okay? But one of the ladies in our church happens to know me when I was still in a higher primary school. That's many years ago. That's when I was very young and very handsome. <laughs> and both the handsome and the young is gone. So she remembers that. And she, she reminded me of something that I had totally forgotten. I, but as she spoke, I remember that. That one day at our school, our principal had me come to the, to the stage in the morning assembly and told all the children that they must follow my example. Yeah, I'm telling you. No, no, oh, oh. no, no. no. You, must, you must give a hand to my parents, not to me. It's not me at all. And, and, and the principal said, this young man, when he comes from school, he goes straight home. He always does his homework. He's always whatever, always whatever. And you know, when she was talking, I was standing here thinking, Kiri, you know, thank God for good parents. Serious. Thank God for parents who taught me as a child that when I leave and go somewhere, I must tell them where I'm going, who I am with, and when am I coming back. My father did that till I was in my 20s and I was dating wife here. And he would ask me, where are you going? When are you coming back? Forgive. Here I am. I'm earning my own salary and I'm driving my own car and I'm a pastor and I must still report. Forgive. But you know, I thought about it. What a gift you are as a parent to your children. In the home where you can teach children to work. I thank God for my late mother who didn't spoil me because I'm the only boy at home. I've got four sisters. Two older than me, two younger than me. You know, in, 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 in African culture, I don't know how to say it in English. How do you say it? You are a what? You are a what? You are a what? <laughs> you are a... <laughs> What's a pio? You are a kidney surrounded by fat. It's, 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 it's synonymous. It means you are in so much comfort. I mean, you are surrounded by girls. So you don't have to work. Oh, my mother. She said, I'm going to skin off the fat and expose the kidney. That woman made me work. Hey! I, I did everything my sisters did. There was no work at home for boys or for girls. No. If they knelt down to scrub the floor, I scrubbed with them. Hey. Hey. She taught me that when I take my clothes off, I don't leave them in a pile and expect my sisters to clean up after me. I can hear the amen seem to be disappearing. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's later on that I'm thankful to my mom for that. Grateful to my mother. What a gift family is. You know, you, sometimes you can see when, unfortunately, people didn't have that privilege to be raised in a home. When someone never grew up in a home, it's very difficult, Basalan. They learn things that are very difficult to correct. You know, even in the, when they're already grown up, they don't learn. You know, at home, they teach you. If there's food, you don't just eat by yourself. You know, you don't say, it's Jehovah Jireh, and then eat everything. You know, you say that. You wait for other people. There's an elderly lady I really loved, and she loved me too, you know. She very good elderly lady. And uh, I would visit her sometimes because my, my, my sister and my brother-in-law, 
lived next door to her. So when I went to visit, she would see me and she would say, Hey, Mosamtana. And, and then she, she's quite, uh, she raised children single-handedly. Very strict old lady, very good elderly lady. And, and I tell you, she taught her children. And, and so she tells me a story about her son who didn't want to take responsibility. I mean, this guy, you know, you know he, he's been raised by the lady, taken to school. She worked so hard and he finally finishes at school, gets a job. And his first salary, he buys himself expensive clothes. Topshire. <laughs> yeah, give me the names of the expensive. You know those, 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 you're staying here in my house. You're working. You can see I'm a single parent. You can see how much I'm struggling. Now when you work and you get money, you can't even contribute. Well, the brother wouldn't listen. And this woman said, I'm going to solve this boy. I'm going to solve this boy. So one day she decided, she says to me, Mtanam, I decided I'm going to cook a three-course meal. Now, for you younger ones, you may not appreciate that, okay? In our day, we never used to have the privilege to eat meat during the week. We were very poor people. We didn't meet during the week. We only had pap, lisawa, or a papa kalibis. All right? And not only that, even on Sunday, when we were supposed to be eating something that is very, we couldn't have dessert. We dessert only came Christmas time and New Year's time. Okay, so, so you got, I got to put that in context. But she decided during the week, she's going to cook three-course meal, a starter, main meal, and dessert. Yeah. Not only is he going to cook that meal, she said, I set out the table, tablecloth. You must remember, we never had tablecloths during the week. Not on Sunday either. Only. Yeah. And then she got that crockery and cutlery that only comes out at Christmas time. She says, when the kids arrived at home, they were shocked. Her girls and the boy, they were shocked. What's the occasion? Mama said, I'm in a good mood today. I decided to treat you well and really cook for you, my kids. So he said, kids, sit down. Brought brings out the first course, soup, you know. Uh, uh, serves the girls, puts all the soup on there where the girls are seated and goes to the bedroom, gets the pair of flosham shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Put, puts them on a plate brings them and puts them right in front of the, the son, the boy, and puts them there. And she's very serious. And you can feel the tension in the home. Everybody's looking. The girls are not sure whether to laugh or they don't know what to do. And she said, let us pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the food that you are about to receive. <laughs> you know the song? Amen. Then they started eating, and the brother is sitting there. <laughs> and then after that, she said, I, The girls tried to get up to clear up. I said, No, 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 girls. I'm today, I'm serving all of you. So she cleaned up, removed the shoes, removed everything, brought the main course. For the girls, went to the bedroom, got the Dobshire. <laughs> put, put it on the plate, put it there. Third meal, served the girls the dessert, went to the bedroom, brought the brand wood, put it in front of the brother. And after that, she said, You don't even have to wash the dishes, I'll wash the dishes for you tonight. You can all go to bed. Next month. The following month. When the brother got his salary, he came home and says, Mama, Mama. <laughs> An envelope that wasn't open. Those days when we used to get our salary in an envelope. What a gift that mother is. Yeah. What a gift you can be to your kids. Eh? Yeah. You know, as children, you, 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 you don't appreciate the things that your parents teach you. You think they're being hard on you. You know, my sisters are here. You know, we, we used to get uh, pocket money 
for school, you know, in high school, you know, and, uh, and my sisters, and I came up with at one point where they are, but they used to, they used to use their money. They would buy Archer, Snookfish, Machanganvors. Hey, if you are not Tsonga, don't ever say Machanganvors. You understand? It's only us, the Shangans. Archer, Snookfish, Machanganvors. They were just... Now, I used to save my money because I love to eat fruit. I love fruit. I'd save up my money to go buy fruit on Friday. And thankfully, at the school where we were, there was a feeding program. So I could go there and sort of get... And they went to the same school, by the way. Anyhow, let me not say... So I'd get, and I shall always get, you know, milk and bread. That's what I ate the whole week. You know, brown bread, peanut butter, milk. That's all. Yeah. Bona, Coca-Cola, Machangan Wars, Snook Fishy, you know, Acha, hmm? and Bunny Chow. That's what they had. I mean, really. You know. So Friday comes. I've got all this money. After school, I'd go. There was a cafe not far from home. I'd go to this uh, beautiful cafe and buy this fruit, beautiful fruit, bring it home and eat. I mean, eat, eh? really eat. Now, come on, don't give me that look. I worked hard for this thing. Eh? <laughs> My mother kept looking at that, and finally one day, when I was just about to eat, she said, uh, Musa, can you bring those fruit here? And she took all my fruit, Bazalan, really. <laughs> I'm still struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness here. <laughs> she cut it up. For my three sisters or four sisters. Can you imagine Bazalana? A small apple being cut into five pieces. And we got equal share. I didn't get the bigger piece. She distributed it equally among us all children. I was so angry. You must remember these those days when you never answered your parents. Even if you don't like them, you can't say, I hate you. No, you can't. You just look at them and I was seething. I was angry. I didn't understand. I have sacrificed. No, I didn't eat and machangan I sacrificed. How does it take my... But then it occurred to me, my mother is teaching me to share. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's an African proverb that says, I don't know how to say that in English. When, when one mouth is eating, it insults the other one. That's the literal translation. But, but what it means is, you can't just eat by yourself alone. It's, it's very un-African. We share whatever is there. Whatever little is there, we go to share. And my parents taught me that, my mom in particular. And you know, since that time, I learned how to share and to be generous. But it was a very difficult lesson to learn how to share. Since that time, I just learned, Kuru, okay, I might as well give them, you know, I might as well just, just give them, even if you give them the smallest name, but at least you have given, just give them <laughs> so that they safe with what I have. <laughs> but it cultivated a spirit of giving. Parents, what a gift you are to your children. What a gift the family is. Yeah. See, when God created an ordained family, he did, he did not do so without purpose and without design. See, God created family to be the context in which mankind could realize their potential and they could understand their eternal purpose and they could understand the divine image of God they carry and the dominion that they have and they can actualize in their potential. All of that is meant to be fed in a home structure with a mom and a dad who loves you. You know, and as I look around in the church, I, I just never forget that some pictures I've seen. When I've seen some of the men and women as we come to know the Lord and as we learn about family, where we go into, on, onto a, on, into, into a, 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 a discipline of self-correcting. Wherein, you know, we may have come from a background where these things were not even practiced. We may come from a very dysfunctional context. But listen, that you started that way, it doesn't mean that should be your future as well. Yeah, it, it, might, it might take longer to learn some things. See, if, if you never learned in a home structure, 
certain things. It's, it takes much. It's more difficult to learn them when you're grown up. But the power of the Holy Spirit is there. Yeah. I said the power of the Holy Spirit is there. Yeah. If you have the will and the determination to learn new things, you know, it, it can be a good thing. I, I watched at one of the programs we have with the men, the Line Crossers program. And I was watching this guy with his daughter, teenage daughter, you know. They were talking and hugging and, and kissing. And you could see that they're really enjoying one another's company. They're discussing. And, and I'm looking at this young girl thinking, what a gift this man is to this young girl. And how fortunate this young girl is to, to get to experience the love of a man that has no sexual connotations. Yeah. 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 Where she... She's loved genuinely for who she is with no ulterior motive. And it's a pure, genuine, masculine love that doesn't objectify her. And I thought, what a powerful, strong woman she'll grow up to be. She'll be able to differentiate these loves. And there's no guy who's going to lie to her. You know, we lie to you ladies and we say, you mean the world to me? I am not complete without you. And I know this is all poetic talk. I know it's all poetic talk, but you know, Vazalana, to be honest with you, no human being can meet all your needs. I'm telling you, there's no human being who can do that. No man can, no woman can. So in a little now when we say I'm incomplete, oh, but like course. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, what a shock. <laughs> This girl, this 16-year-old girl, there's no girl's going to lie to her. She's going to grow up to be a strong woman, an independent woman, self-conscious, full of passion, who will know the difference between true love and exploitative love. What a gift. What a gift. What a gift. When you raise young men, boys, to know how to treat women right. Young men who are not going to objectify women. We're not going to treat women as sex objects. We're going to understand that women are human like the rest of us. Young men who are going to grow up to take responsibility uh, and work at home and clean the house and, 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 and know how to honor in a home and not grow up with a twisted personality of anger and revenge, wanting to kill the whole world because daddy was never there. Oh, what a gift you are to your family. Eh? Can you imagine that? God gives a home for that. Hallelujah. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make men in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created men in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and, and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blesses a man and a woman who come together in covenant, in marriage. And God blesses them. And so before God, the family, therefore, is to be the God-ordained context for the establishment of the following things. Number one, for the establishment and the development of God-centered relationships. God is the one who brought the man and the woman together. And if the man and the woman try to get it on without God being there and without God being the center of everything, no wonder things fall apart. And so God wants these relationships to be God-centered relationships. See, Barcelona, relationships that really are just based on other things. They're based on wealth. They're based on looks. They're based on who is cool. They never will last. There's got to be something more than just the looks. Because looks wear off after a while. Are you there, Barcelona? Things can change that can make someone who's super rich to be a pauper overnight. It's going to be something more than that. So God 
wants our relationships to be centered on him. God-centered relationships and God-centered fellowships. This is why it's important as the Bible encourages us that as a Christ follower, when you start a family, make sure that whoever you get married to is a Christ follower as well. Paul tries to teach this in the book of Corinthians. He says, light cannot be equally yoked with darkness. He says, don't be unequally yoked with the unbeliever. Oftentimes when we try to explain this to people, people think we are just being nasty and we don't understand how much they are in love with each other. The truth is when the reality of life sinks in, when the challenges of life come through, when you go through times of sickness and disease and challenge, when children are born, when you come to some of the most sacred things, that is where your core beliefs get exposed. If someone has never been a follower of Christ and they don't have the discipline of going to church, reading the Bible or praying, but you marry them because of their beautiful dimple. <laughs> oh, the brother has got a very wide voice. Hey, baby. And when he said, hey, baby, you became weak at your knees. <laughs> if that's the only reason you are getting married to them, and you never ask about the centrality of God in their lives. When you're married, you go through problems. You go through challenges. And it is those problems that reveal what your core beliefs are. It is when things are hard where you run to whatever you are familiar with. If alcohol is what you run to when there's trouble, you're going to run to alcohol when there's trouble in your home. If you never learn to be a disciplined guy and you're a player, when you start having challenges in the home and you can't get it on, then you'll cheat because you do not have values. Or as a lady, you'll go and get yourself a Ben 10. Oh, so ladies, you don't want me to say Ben 10, eh? I can say the guys are cheating. I can't say you, Ben 10. Okay, explain to your neighbor what a Ben 10 is. Just explain to them what a... Just explain to them. They don't know what a Ben 10 is. No, it's not a Ben 9. It's a Ben 10. No, no, no. And explain why it's 10 and not 12. Just explain to them why it's a Ben 10. Ah. Jesus. <laughs> but the family... Is that God-ordained context where God-centered relationships are, are developed. It is in the family where it's the context for the establishment and the development of God-like character. It's in a home where we've got to teach people to have good character. To know how to say, I'm sorry, thank you, please. To know how to address people. Oh. I was sharing in the first service, was Anna. I'm, I'll be thankful to God till my last day on earth. And the day we go to heaven, I will always thank God for the, the privilege of being raised by good parents. I don't ever remember once in our home hearing anybody swearing. Not once. My father never swore. I never ever remember my father drinking or smoking. Not once. Cheating on my mom. Never. Or being abusive. Not once. No. Not once. Not once. Hey. What a gift. What a gift. Some of the things, but it's not so much because we're such good Christians. If you, if you grow up in a place where good things are normalized, at home when we celebrated, there was no alcohol. So even when we had marriages, we never, there was no alcohol at our uh, wedding, wife and uh, my sisters, there's no alcohol. Some people, when they, when they want to be happy and celebrate, hey, look at your neighbor and say, Kare Bishop And you know, I'll do, a, I'll do a whole presentation on the issue of alcohol. It's, there are studies now that are very concerning about the abuse of alcohol in our nation. Very concerning. I'm telling you, Masala, I know you don't like it. I know you don't like it. But I'm not going to try and preach because you like it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a servant of God. I'm going to preach to our society, all right? Yeah. There are very, very concerning studies about alcohol abuse and also the phenomenon of the broken family. My heart broke the other day. I was, I was speaking to my brother-in-law, and they were sharing with me and my sister how the phenomenon of 
the reality of uh, the dysfunctional home. And some of it is not on purpose. It's just circumstantial. Find this lady. She's a single parent woman raising children. You know, whatever the situation is, we don't know. We're not judging anybody. But then she gets a job and you find the only job she has, she can only work night shift. Yeah? So here it is. She has to work at night, away from her kids, right? So then the older kid now has to become the parent. Imagine a child having to think about what meal are we going to eat tonight? Having to, to ensure that the younger ones have got everything they need for school. They wash them, they dress them, they so on. You know, when they said that, my heart broke. I thought, sheesh, sheesh, this is the reality where we live. And I was saying to myself when I was praying, God, how do we help here? Do we really understand? Do we really understand the reality of where people live? There are many child-headed homes that are there. Maybe we have to try and agitate for more foster care. Maybe some of you. Christian parents, you've already raised your kids. You already have an empty nest. Maybe we should find a way in which we can give some child a chance in life. What do you say, Gazala? Hmm? Hmm? Raise them. At least give them a little bit of a taste of what normality is. You know, this I can't, I can't erase from my heart and I think I will forever... I will forever feel sorry for what I did. I've forgiven me, but it was one of the most painful lessons I learned. There's a, a home of abandoned children that we worked very closely with as a church. And these kids live on this home, as you call it. And it just so happened our church was near this particular home of these kids, and they came to our church and they became part of our church. They attended our Sunday school, our children's church, and I got to know many of them and you know how I love kids. I'd always play with them and so on. So one day I, I happened to go via the, that home and I was on a tight schedule, unfortunately. I was rushing for a meeting in Runback. So I had to just go there and drop something and leave, all right? Just that kind of day, okay? So as I drove in, I didn't notice that the kids were somewhere. They saw me when I came in. Okay. So in my own rushed way, I ran into the admin block, did whatever I did, and as I rushed out, I saw the kids playing. I, I greeted them from far, but I never stopped long enough to listen to what they were saying. And as I, as I, as I was driving out, waving to them, one of the caretakers came to me and said, did you, did you hear what the children are singing? I said, no. <laughs> Pazalana, these kids had composed a song on the spot celebrating that their pastor has come to see them. I tell you. They were, they were singing and dancing. And, 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 and here I am, I'm rushing off. I stopped and I thought, I, I, I didn't know. Who, what we mean to this kids. That as much as we're running a church, we, we are a parent too. I didn't know. I, I tried, I was with them, but I was so broken and felt so condemned that I was very awkward and I tried doing whatever. But as I left, I couldn't get that out of my mind. Since that day, I made a decision that I will never ever rush off from any child or any young person again. Unless it's impossible to take time. But if, if it means, if it means shaking their hand, if it means greeting them, if it means saying one word, you don't know what that means from a parenting standpoint. Because some of these kids, you are the only parent they have. You may not be in the same house with them. You may not know anything, but they just come here and they're looking for somebody. So parents, please, I ask you, give your children the gift of a good family. Realize how much family matters. Let me close. Family is meant to be a place where God-ordained ministry and God-ordained function is to be cultivated. 
Support your children in their efforts. When you see them having certain gifts and talents, give them support. Go to their sports days. Take them to extramural activities. Of course, children sometimes can start their sport and stop halfway, go to something else. That's what happens. Don't worry. Don't say, I paid all my money on blah, blah, blah. Just chill. Okay? Let them explore. And a home is a place where we are to teach people of their spiritual dominion. So it is in the family that the true principles of relationship with God, relationship with other people are to be laid down. It's the, in the family where the true God-like character is to be produced, like we saw in the case of Timothy. Timothy who followed in the footsteps of his mom. His mom followed in the footsteps of her mom, Timothy's grandmother. She's in the, the family. Wherein all these things can be proven and tested. It's through the family that God can enlarge other people's lives. And so, for whatever it's worth, brothers and sisters, I ask you, family is the building block of society. And however you run your family, you're contributing to the betterment of society. And oh, how we need well-adjusted people in our societies who come from well-adjusted homes. Because when you listen to the court cases and you hear what people do, and when you listen to them talk and look at this guy who's committed these hideous crimes, you wonder, I just wonder, what happened in this guy's past? We do understand sometimes the abuse of alcohol and and drugs predisposes people to these types of behaviors. But as you sit down and talk to them and try to dig further about their background, you find that these people have a cry of a home that was dysfunctional. And the whole world has become an enemy to them. And they've gone out on a spirit of revenge, killing everybody and being dysfunctional. But you and I have that privilege and that opportunity. Would you hold somebody's hand next to you, please, as we pray right now? Just hold their hand. I'm going to ask you to pray for them. Some of them may not necessarily need this message, but some do need the message. And whatever the situation is, can you just bring them before the Lord and just pray for them, that God would really come upon their lives and help them, that whatever role they can play in contributing to the betterment of family, they'll play it whether it's their own immediate family or someone else's family, or if they can just be that parent, that distant parent, even if they're met once in a while, or that father who inspires some young man to be a good young man, some woman who inspires some young woman or some young boy about life. Can you just pray for them right now? Just pray for them. We pray that your spirit will rest upon these, your children, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Sharabara Bukotusur. Bredela Bakota Rabanoria to the city. Rendere Bakura Babur City. Shedebaraba. Pray for them. Hallelujah. Pray for them right now. Oh God, may your grace, your mercy, Rest upon them. We pray for those who find themselves in dysfunctional homes. We pray for the young people who find themselves in this situation. We pray for divine intervention. We pray that you come through for them. We pray for couples who might be having tension in their homes and maybe they are considering to walk away from one another. We pray that they will reconsider. We pray that they will recommit. We pray that again, 
They will allow your word and your principles to be a part of their lives. We pray for those who may be feeling discouraged. We pray that you help them. We pray for those who are going to get married and those who are seeking to be married. We pray for them, your grace on them, your life on them. We pray for those whose hearts may be torn because their story has been a sad story. Oh God, would you reach out to them in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Bow your heads please. Close your eyes please. I want to make an appeal this morning. To pray for someone in this place. You came on your own. You've been invited. It might be, it might not even be your first time. Maybe whatever the situation. But as I was preaching God's word today. You felt and noticed in your life. That you know it's God. Really it's God. Who's able to change somebody's life. It's only the coming of Christ into our lives that begins a journey of a different way of living. Maybe you hear, you are here as much as you've enjoyed everything that has happened. But in your heart, you feel a sense of emptiness. You want to know God more clearly. You want to have an experience that's real of true life change that comes from Jesus Christ. You want to invite Jesus into your life. You want to ask him to come into your heart. To be the Savior and the Lord of your life. You need prayer. Whatever the situation is. You want God to intervene in your life. Or you want God to change your life. You want God to forgive you of your wrong. You want your life to be changed and transformed. So that as from today you can live for God. Our heads bowed please. Our eyes closed please. Nobody moving around or walking around. Except the ushers who are serving us. If that is you and you need prayer. Please I ask you. Would you raise your hand right where you are because I'd like to pray please just raise your hand just raise your hand you want to invite Jesus thank you for those hands all over the place raise it high don't be afraid there's no need for you to be afraid this is the place where life change happens this is why we do what we do this is a place where all of us broken people all of us whose lives are going in the wrong direction we will come to this place and, and we open up to God and we say God here am I Take this life of mine. Broken as it is. No one is going to make fun of you. Because many of us. God has changed us and has transformed us. We have a history where we come from. There was a time in our lives. When everything was falling apart. And we brought those broken pieces to God. And God was able to bring them together again. Thank you for raising your hands. May I ask all of you who raised your hands. Will you please kindly stand on your feet. Right where you are please. Just stand on your feet. You raise your hand. I want to, I want to, we really, this is an important thing. If you raise your hand, stand on your feet. All over the place. Thank you. You see, that's why they clap for you. They know what it means. They know the change that Jesus is able to bring in our lives. All right. Okay. One more thing I'm going to ask you to do. I want to pray with you. This is an important decision. I want to pray for you. I want to bring you before God. We want to see God do something that's new in your life. So I want to invite all of those of you who are standing. If you could take all your belongings, your Bible, your bag, your purse, and just walk to the front. Come stand here. Let's pray together. Give them a hand, everybody, as they come.